listening to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. We Chose Play is a new series documenting my family's floor time journey. You can see the preview on YouTube, and you can register to watch the extended trailer for free at affectautism.com play, or just go to wechoseplay.com. With each episode, you'll glean insights, tips, and reflections, what I learned and what I know now that I would tell myself back then along the way. I hope it will support caregivers in their floor time experience. We chose play. We have joy every day. Welcome back, listeners. I'm Daria Brown on Affect Autism with two returning guests. I have Jackie Bartell, who's a retired special educator, and Colette Ryan, who's an infant mental health specialist. They are both Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based, or DIR, expert training leaders who teach certificate courses at the International Council on Development and Learning, ICDL. They are also part of DIR's home program, which is a home virtual coaching program where parents and caregivers can get coaching once a week or uh, bi-weekly and really get that individualized floor time coaching experience. So welcome back to my two dear colleagues. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having us, Daria. I'm really excited about today because this podcast is a little bit different than others I've done in the past. Uh, We located this old video that was presented at a conference, uh, an ICDL conference some years ago. And we're not even um, going to get into that as much as just the content of the video. So what I'd like to do to start out is to play this video for um, viewers, listeners, and it is, it's a video for those watching on YouTube of text, but it's a conversation that a parent is having with a child who is having some challenges with things that neurotypical babies tend to do automatically. The mother doesn't know what's happening, is trying to figure out this baby. And you'll hear the mother's voice dictating what the words that are said on the screen if you're listening on audio. Also, I'll have a link to this on YouTube, um, the YouTube video that I'm sharing at the blog post at affectautism.com. So with that being said, let me share my screen and we will watch slash listen to the video on a little bit higher speed so we get through it quickly. And then we're gonna break it down with our DIR experts. It's mommy. I have so many dreams for you. Being here feels funny. I need you. You're fussy. Let me hold you. Oh, you hurt sometimes. Put me down. Shh. I'm here, smiling at you and singing to you. It's too loud in here. You're too close to me. Get away. Don't turn away. I love you. Let me hold you. I feel so sad. You smell your voice. You touch. It's too much for my body to handle. I feel sad, too. Your twin brother sits without any help. You can't sit. Your body's so floppy. I don't know my body well. It just doesn't listen to me. Turn to me when I call your name. Please hear me. I do hear you. There's too much going on around me and inside of me. You are stubborn. You can't always have things your way. I feel calmer when I know what's coming next. I like routine. You always repeat what I say. Tell me how you feel. 
It's hard for me to find my own words. I need help to show you my feelings and my ideas. I believe that you're smart. You know all your letters and numbers. I am smart. I love letters and numbers. They're always the same, and that makes me feel safe. The children in your playgroup sit so nicely. You're in constant motion. Moving makes my body feel good and happy. We're at your favorite park. The other children are playing together, but you're alone. The kids move and talk so fast. I won't play with them, but I don't know how to join in. I have so many dreams for you, but now I'm afraid and confused. You're my everything, but, but I don't understand you. I need you to understand me. I have dreams too. I'm a unique child. There are reasons for what I do. You are my parent. Please learn about me. conversation that a parent is having with the child who you know starts as a baby and some of the comments going along you can tell the child is a bit older like when the child is talking about liking letters and numbers so um i think that it's clear when you watch the video you can see the progression of the mother's naive uh sort of view and understanding of the child to an informed view after learning about the developmental individual differences relationship based model. So maybe what I can do is just go through this one more time, but we'll go piece by piece. But before we do that, any overarching general 
comments about the video? Colette? I think many parents have been there and can relate to the first conversation that was going on. We all have dreams. We have these wonderful dreams while children are being born. We have dreams for them afterwards. Um, but there, there are times when our dream of parenting doesn't match the individual that we're with. And the beautiful thing about floor time, I think, is that we can support you in your dream of parenting, but also how to make that feel good to the individual that you that you did have, the one that was born to you, that may have some things that they don't like, like not wanting to be touched or rocked or sung to. And we don't want parents to feel sadness and stop those attempts. What we'd like to be able to do is to support them and maybe trying it a little differently. So maybe rocking faster or slower, maybe touching more firmly or more gently or singing really slowly or singing with a whisper. So I think that's that's the overarching message for me is as a floor timer, we can support you to getting to that second part of the conversation. Jackie? And I, you know, just to, to, to piggyback on what Colette shared, I think one of the things that, that, that strikes me is that in both scenarios, parents are working really hard at doing at doing great parenting and they're looking towards trying to gain connection with their child and as colette pointed out in that the, the first one the connection isn't working because for, for a variety of reasons as she said the uniqueness of the child and when that is taken into consideration in the second piece it sort of changes the res response and reaction. And one of the things that I was particularly um, really noted was the cue reading and cue sending in the first part was it, it, it didn't match. The intent was very good for mom, and the child the child is giving information, and the two players were not reading the cues. And when you switch over into the second piece of the scenario, which big part of what we do in four time, all of a sudden, mom starts to join where the child is and read the cues that the child is giving them. And, and that's where we start to see connection. And that's, that's a big part of what we think about when we're talking about floor time is how we listen, listen with our ears and our eyes and our bodies to the child that we, are, that we have before us. And I think that, that what's really so lovely is this connection that everybody is striving for. And that's, that's what floor time, floor time gives us. It's one of the, the, the most wonderful, joyful gifts of floor time is connection. And I, I, what I like about what you said, Jackie, was how <clears throat> the parents' intent is there from the beginning. So parents always have good and well, most, we hope most of the time, always have good intentions and want to connect with their child but just may not know how. And so as Colette and Jackie pointed out, a good floor time coach will really help support parents in understanding this development, these individual differences, and using that relationship to really understand and connect with the child. Mm -hmm. So let's go through <clears throat> the video and just sort of break it up little bit by bit. 
baby. It's mommy. I have so many dreams for you. Being here feels funny. I need you. You're fussy. Let me hold you. Okay, so right there, I can relate to that so well because your child is born, especially when it's your firstborn. And I only have one child. I have so many dreams for you. I've imagined all my life what it's like to be a mother. I've played with children my whole life and been a babysitter. And I, everybody said, you're going to have 10 kids, Daria, because you love kids. And I finally have this child and he's so cute. And I just love him so much. Oh, you're very fussy. <laughs> Let me hold you. <laughs> so right off the bat, like, hmm, a new mother in general, if your baby's crying, like, why is he crying? You know, why is she crying? What's wrong? Diaper, food, you know, the usual checklist of things. But then you realize, no, it's something more than that. And right off the bat, you're confused and you're wondering. And let's see what the child says. Hold me hurt sometimes. Put me down. So right off the bat, if it hurts to be held and your child is crying and you're picking them up, I want to hold you and make things better but you're crying, that's so confusing for a parent, isn't it? It's very confusing. Um, and part of that's biology because we're born with what are called attachment promoting behaviors. So that baby was born with skills to get someone to take care of them. And we as adults have these great receptors for the those attempts at, um, at attachment where we want to pick up the child, we want to hold the child, play with the child, snuggle with the child. And the child may come with those attachment promoting behaviors, but they're going to be, they might be a little bit different and than what mom and or dad or caregiver expected. And I think that's where attunement comes in and, and thinking about attunement in this moment with this child, what does it look like? As opposed to my general overall dream of what it's going to look like. Do you have something to add, Jackie? Well, yeah, you know, I think I think what what the child you know we see in this in in this these, these three interchanges, the child saying, "I'm not comfortable with with being held, but I need you," and the care the parents saying, "Okay, let me pick you up," and there's a mismatch right there mm -hmm. because and the parent is doing exactly what you know as Colette said that we're programmed to do. And I'm going to hold you. And the child, like, I, I need that. I need you. But the holding makes me uncomfortable. You know, and it's, it's, again, you can see here, the intention is so good. But, but the, 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 the mismatch between what the parent does and how the child experiences it. And I think that that's a really, that's a really important piece of this. It's how the child experiences it from a from a sensory perspective, not an emotional perspective. And I think that that's really important for us all to remember as as parents. That, go ahead. Right, and to realize it's not rejection. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and I'd like to also point out <clears throat> that every child has you know individual differences, including the sensory profile that Jackie referred to. And in my case, my son needed to constantly be held. 
So I, I mean, I think it's obvious that this is about one child, but just to let parents know, you know, every child is different. So some, it might, that sense of holding, it hurts me, put me down. My baby was like, pick me up now and bounce me around and move me around until 4 a.m. And then every half hour after that, no matter how tired you are, I need you to pick me up. <laughs> so every baby is going to be different. <clears throat> and I just wanted to quickly allude to the one thing you said, Jackie, because I, I just released a podcast a few weeks ago with Maude LaRue about vestibular processing and the effect it has on everything else. And it was so enlightening for me um, to dive deeper into these individual differences in the sensory systems and how the vestibular system affects everything. And you said um, it might not be emotional, it might be sensory. And later on, as children grow, those experiences get stored as emotional information, and then the two interact. So I want, only wanted to clarify that because Maude had brought it up in the podcast. And, and I know that you're talking about just that initial experience of the sensory feeling of it hurting, not being an emotional rejection of mom. Right. And I mean, the, the sensory experience gives rise to the, to the affect, which gives rise to the emotion. And so, yeah, it does get stored. Absolutely. Okay, let's see what's next. Shh, I'm here, smiling at you and singing to you. It's too loud in here. You're too close to me. Get away. Okay, mom is doing like what Colette says. I'm singing, I'm, you know, doing whatever. The baby's like, whoa, that's too loud. <clears throat> whoa, you're too close to me. Get away. It's overwhelming my sensory system. And again, I'll say that my son was the opposite. The louder, the better, the more talking, the more noises, the funnier it is. I laugh when I hear funny noises. I love hearing singing. So again, every baby's different. <laughs> you know, and I think as, as I listen to what you're saying, Daria, you're, you, said, you said rejection, that it can feel like rejection. And I, it, it, and we have another another moment here, and it's like you're collecting these experiences that don't feel good for the parent, and that plays into it too about the parent's own neurology and how they they are then responding back and forth. And I think that that we have to give ourselves space as parents to think about that piece too, and that it's not just how the child is experiencing the moment. You know, ma mama is singing and singing so beautifully, and the child can't soothe to that and can't find a calm place in that safety that the child is looking for. Yeah, I'm thinking even about that sound. Shh. That's a big sound, and it can be so overwhelming for individuals. And when you're little, you don't have the meaning making around the that sound of shh means I'm here to comfort you. You go ahead and be quiet. That sound is just a sound then. And if that's overwhelming to you, as soon as mom says shh or dad says shh or caregiver says shh, that can send the child um, into some more dysregulation just because of the sound that's being made. For sure. it. And I, I'm glad that you brought up the meaning making piece because it comes up over and over again with parents 
that we're saying things that are just second nature to us, forgetting that the child has no meaning for what that is or what it means or what it says. And, you know, <clears throat> we are Anglophones. We speak English. We, we say shh. Now, other cultures and languages might do something else. They might go or, you know, who knows what it is. But unless you have the meaning for what that is, and until you get that meaning and you get that meaning by having these experiences over and over again with your caregiver, and if that's aversive, that's when they'll pull away more and maybe even get stiff when the caregiver comes near because they anticipate that awful noise coming. And then that feeds into what Jackie talked about that, oh, my baby's rejecting me. And then how does that impact mom? Because I know if a lot of mothers are like me, like, who cares about me? I want to do everything for this baby. What can I do to make this baby better? And then not realizing the impact that it has on you. And then you explode at your spouse or whoever's around you because you've had no sleep and this and that. And you have to sort of understand like, whoa, this is taking a lot out of me too. And so that floor time coaching that will help you attune not only helps the child, but also helps the parent be more calm and regulated when they approach their child. And so I'm glad that you brought that up, Jackie, that it's not just focusing only on the child. This is always an interaction between parent and child and this relationship back and forth going on. Don't turn away. I love you. Let me hold you. I feel so sad. You smell your voice, you touch. It's too much for my body to handle. I feel sad too. I'm going to go to the next one because I think we covered that. The mother's feeling rejected. I feel sad. And the child's saying, all this stuff is overwhelming to me. It's pretty much what we just talked about. Your twin brother sits without any help. You can't sit. Your body's so floppy. I don't know my body well. It just doesn't listen to me. So I, <laughs> I like that part that it said, your twin brother sits fine. And isn't that the case too when parents are on their second, third, fourth child and maybe their first children were neurotypical or, you know, had certain tendencies and all of a sudden this next child is totally different. And you hear that a lot with parents saying their first child slept through the night, no problem. The second child, oh my goodness, never slept or vice versa. Oh, my first child kept me up all the time. Oh, my second child slept like a baby all through the night. It was wonderful. So there's always these differences in children, but especially when you have that comparison, it's so confusing as a parent. Like, I don't understand why, what is going on with this child? Why aren't they able to do this? And <clears throat> that's the first issue. And then the second issue is, what does that mean to be floppy? And None of us are OTs here, but we've interacted enough with OTs to understand what that is. So do you want to go first, Colette? The idea that a child doesn't know where their body is in space, that's kind of foreign to a lot of people. And so I think that that's one of the first things that we get to do with families that we get to see is help them to understand how their body works, how the inner workings of body goes about taking in the sensory information that's around them and making sense of it and then coming out with a response to it. So I think um, that's a, a big piece of what we get to do. And as far as a body being floppy, that we could get into a long explanation of it, but basically it's, uh, I, I need 
muscle tone in order to do all these things like sit up. And I don't have that muscle tone right now. Maybe you could help me get this muscle tone. Muscle, muscle tone. And again, we get to support that that also. Jackie? We, and I like that. Maybe you could help support me to get that muscle tone. And maybe you could just help support me so that I can start to organize my, my sensory system so that I can make a response and I can find connection with you. You know, so it's, a, it, 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 it's, a, it, it's sort of a, a there, there are two things going on at the same time. And we have so many apparatus now to put a child into. We can put them into a walker, into a baby seat, into a cushion seat. We can put them in all sorts of different things that allow um, them to be in a great position, but it doesn't allow the body to get used to being in those positions by itself and using those muscles. So I think that's another thing we get to support parents with is let's make some time where the child's not sitting on a ball or you're having tummy time. And what's that going to look like in order to organize the body and, and increase some of that muscle tone? And the mother really is confused because <clears throat> like she just doesn't understand what's going on. And until like Colette said, you learn about body awareness. I, I remember hearing that term so many times. I'm like, don't know where your body is in space. Like, huh? You know, oh, that's why your child's bumping into the wall all the time because they're trying to feel where their body ends and where space starts in. It is such a, a weird abstract concept to try and understand. Like I sometimes I still think about it and I'm I'm not sure how to explain it to others. But again, I'll refer to that podcast with Maud, the last podcast on the site, where she talked about something that made sense to me for the first time and my child's 13 about core strength. You need core strength and Colette used the term muscle tone. <clears throat> and I wondered about that too, because my son was always really strong. Like he was really strong. He could do things. We brought him to, you know, these therapies where they did lots of movement exercises with him. And he was very strong yet slouching when he sits and W sitting um, on his knees with the feet out behind instead of, you know, which helps you hold your body up. Um, I've thought about it when I sit at my desk, how I tend to slouch. And Maud mentioned it's about the balance, like having the flexor and the extensors be balanced, uh, not necessarily that you don't have strength, but is it in balance with each other to be able to stabilize and hold your body up? And it is a problem for a lot of children on the spectrum and, and otherwise. So it's, it's a whole education piece then for parents which most pediatricians don't mention ever, you know, you don't hear this from anybody. And, and then you get a diagnosis and you may or may not get to an occupational therapist. And then that occupational therapist may or may not know about sensory integration and may or may not be a floor timer. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really confusing for parents. And, and I think if you don't understand that piece of, of being able to hold your body up or what that floppiness, um, and then put that together with our understanding of a cognitive load. If your entire cognitive load is going to keeping your body up, you don't have anything left over for an interaction. And ever since you said that, I'm like now like trying to flex my core. And I noticed that I'm not as slouchy when I like hold my rib cage like firm 
and like, okay, now I'm sitting. And if I let it go, I just tend to slouch and round my back. So, I mean, if it's a, if it's making me concentrate that much on that, that's my cognitive load. Imagine for a little child <laughs> that doesn't really understand what's going on with their body. The cognitive load is, you know, you're talking about, okay, if I just do this, then, then I'm, I, can, I can concentrate on it. But it's the organization of the strength and the use of different muscles to provide the right kind of postural support for this situation versus for that situation. So if we look at a, at, at a child, you know, if we think about this video, that this is, you know, it seems as though it starts out with a baby and it, and it progresses through and we get up into, you know, being older sometimes. So, so what, what does that core strength mean in each of those phases, you know, starting with strength and then organization and then, you know, as you, you referenced the, the, the podcast with Maude where she talked about, you know, it's the, it's the flexors and the extensors, so it's the laterality. And I'm not an OT, but I think that that's, that's an important piece of this is that cognitive load. And then I go to mom, who quite innocently says here, your twin brother can do this. And so she's taking the only piece of data that she has and saying, look, it was successful here. I'm speculating. I mean, we don't know what she's thinking. And it's not successful here. And she's really saying, I don't know what to do. And it's complicated. I mean, it, this is, it, it is complicated. So, I mean, I, you know, and I think that that's the, to, to, to kind of stop about everybody's, again, everybody's cognitive load in this moment, the child and the mom. Mm -hmm. And as we sit here, I'm noticing like holding my core tight like this. Now my back's tired and I just want to go and let it go. <laughs> Yeah. So it is a lot of work to focus on it if it's not coming to you naturally. Mm -hmm. And the other um, thing that you made me think of, Jackie, is <clears throat> now the mother's using that comparison for herself, but she's verbalizing that to the child. And if you're constantly compared, like, oh, so-and-so can do this, but you can't. So-and-so can do this, but you can't. You know, that's giving the child a bit of a complex over time, hearing that all the time and feeling and noticing, like, how come all the other kids can do this and I can't? What's wrong with me? The parent who's saying so-and-so can do this and you can't, their intent is not negative. Mm -hmm. Their intent, I, the, the message has more to do with, for me, with there was success here. Why can't I find success with with this this particular baby that I'm trying to find connection with? And I think that that is it always comes back to that for me. I'm trying to find connection. I'm not. I, I'm having a challenge to experience that connection. So here's here the here's the data that I have where I was successful. Let me see if I can try that. Even when the mother is not intending at all to compare and be mean in, in a way, the child hearing that over time could start to perceive that. And so that, Absolutely. yeah, something going forward. 
Turn to me when I call your name. Please hear me. I do hear you. There's too much going on around me and inside of me. Okay, I had an interesting experience with this in the last week. I It was pointed out to me that I apparently wasn't hearing someone and noticing that they were a little bit upset when I sort of ignored them about something. And I had to explain, I did hear you. I did notice that you were a bit peeved, but A, I was in the middle of doing something else and very distracted. I couldn't respond in that moment. And number two, I didn't think, like I'm not a check-in type of person. Oh, I noticed you were this and that. What is it? I, I sort of like just let people come to me if they have an issue. So I'm thinking about, you know, the mother saying, listen to me, listen to me. She has that need, like, I'm calling your name. Why aren't you responding? It's almost a panic. Like, who doesn't respond when you call their name? It's a very neurotypical social norm. <clears throat> and the child is like, I hear you, but there's so much going on here. I can't possibly attend. Mm -hmm. So again, that mismatch that Jackie talked about. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm going to go back to the meaning making. Has the child made meaning of their name? And, and that is kind of a huh moment for a lot of people is when we're talking about making meaning of your name. When we learn our name, our name is part of the code that we learn of as language. And when we learn language, we can decode the word plus um, act upon it. When we're saying someone's name, somebody says, Jackie, Jackie knows it's her and she tunes into it and she might look at them. But if you don't have a meaning making of that word, you don't know what that word means. And, and so your inclination is not to look to see what that person wants because you don't know what that word is. So thinking about the meaning making of what a name is, and then also the assumption that if you hear your name, you're supposed to turn and look. If you don't know that part of it, then you're not going to turn and look. You are stubborn. You can't always have things your way. I feel calmer when I know what's coming next. I like routine. This is a huge one for me and my son. Um, a lot of people will think, that I'm stubborn, my son's stubborn, because I like things a certain way. My son absolutely likes things a certain way. And that can be very frustrating for people. If, you know, the world is a dynamic place, we need to be flexible, things happen, come and go. And this mother is expressing that frustration in the child. What did the child say again? Um, I need, I need structure and routine. I need to know what's coming next. That makes me feel safe. <laughs> that I mean, you know, I mean, it 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 just hits something for me where mom mom says you're stubborn, and that's the observable behavior. That's what somebody is seeing happen, and there's the frustration about not knowing how to manage it, move through it, and so. That's what mom is, mom is saying, again, with good intent, but the frustration is building for her because she does, she's having a, a challenge with understanding who her child is. 
and, and I think he mentioned beautifully, I don't feel safe. Safety is at the heart of everything for us as we're, as we're trying to interact with someone. If we don't feel safe, there goes our regulation. So we can't engage with them if we don't feel safe. Uh, and I don't think we think about safety enough. And it's that perceived sense of safety. We know that parents always want to keep their children safe from harm. But then within each of us, we have our own sense of who we are that makes us feel safe in the environment. I know that I have to repeat things so many times. And my son constantly asks, he wants to know what's happening today, what's happening later, what's happening tomorrow. When's that? What's next week? He always is trying to make it out in his head to figure it out what's going on to make sense of it for him. You always repeat what I say. Tell me how you feel. It's hard for me to find my own words. To show you my feelings and my ideas. Okay, I there's two parts here. You always repeat what you say. My son repeats everything. 8,000 billion times a day over and over and over. And we had a great conversation about this in parents support group last week about children asking the same questions over and over and, and wanting to hear the same thing over and over. And, and we got into a discussion about it, but then the child is saying, it's hard for me to find my own words. I need help to show you my feelings and ideas. And I take that as um, one, because it's hard for me to find my own words, it's easier for me to just repeat what I've heard other people say. So you'll hear children that speak in scripts, or I've seen it in a movie that script is meaningful to me. I'll repeat that script because it relates to what I'm feeling in this moment. It may not be my own words, but I I'm showing you that I understand. And I need help to show you my feelings and ideas. Um, I'll, I'll let you dive into that part, Colette. Um, the idea. The, again, going back to the meaning making, one of my favorite subjects, and we understand the meaning of feeling joy. Oh, this feels good. I'm happy about this. But then when that feeling changes to something else, maybe a more negative feeling, the identifying of what that feeling is might be more difficult. And they may need someone to help them understand that feeling. There's probably been no instance in the entire universe when we've said to somebody calm down and they have calmed down <laughs> in those moments when your child is having some difficulty when you're having some um some a hard time with them understanding what's going on if we tell them to calm down it's not going to happen we have to support them in understanding their feelings and we need to do that in a beautifully calm way and, and a way of joining them and being with them on that journey of that, of that feeling of that emotion. And as far as ideas are concerned, we don't all have an easy time coming up with an idea. And many times children do need us to support them in coming up with an idea by providing pictures of different things that can be done and code words for different ideas so that the individual has less stress, again, their cognitive load, and being able to express their emotions and their ideas. You know, and I, I, I so appreciate what, what you said, what you 
shared there about about meaning making, and I, I think <laughs> the child, and, and you're calm, calm down. The child isn't going to be able to do that, and the the, the meaning that the parent is bringing to that moment is, I don't know why this is happening or what is happening, but I'm uncomfortable. And so if you would calm down, then I would feel better. Rather than understanding I'm not calm, you're not calm, let's work together to see if we can find a place where we're calm. And again, you know, what what is the meaning that the parent experiences in that moment is is not so great because why can't I why is my child finding themselves in this place of dysregulation or not being calm? What have I done about it? And I, I want to be able to take care of it because that's what a parent should be able to do. But floor time Floor time is, 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 is a great way to help us understand how do we get, how do we help the whole, you know, the, the mom and child, mom or parent and child, find that place of calm and safety together and change the meaning of what that dysregulation means. Mm. I believe that you're smart. You know all your letters and numbers. I am smart. I love letters and numbers. They're always the same, and that makes me feel safe. Unless either one of you have something you want to add about that, I think that one's pretty clear. Um, <clears throat> the mother is impressed that the child knows letters and numbers, and we hear that all the time from parents. Oh, my child can say the whole alphabet. Oh, my child is reading, or my child is this. Um, and that's something that makes them feel safe. It's familiar, they can go through, and that sense of safety again, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're reading and comprehending things yet. They may have memorized things because it's comforting to them, but that's a clue to the mother that, okay, I know that you have this skill, therefore you must have other skills too. And the child is, is saying, yes, uh, these letters and numbers make me feel safe when I play with the same thing over and over. Did either of you want to add anything to that? Oh, it goes back to safety again. This is the second time in these two minutes that our little one has mentioned the word safe. Mm -hmm. It's a big thing. Feel safe. The children, children in your playgroup sit so nicely. You're in constant motion. Moving makes my body feel good and happy. And this is again, the mother saying, oh, well, all the other kids can sit. I wonder why my kid can't. I am the parent of a mover and a shaker child who can't sit still. So uh, I think I'll point people to Maud's podcast again from a few weeks ago where she talked all about this. It is not a maladaptive response. In fact, it's an adaptive response that the child needs to move because moving makes their vestibular system activate the other systems whether it's i need to move to listen what you're saying i need to move to see what's happening around me 
the visual system. I need to move to feel where my body is in space, proprioception. I need to move to, you know, be able to stay regulated and feel safe and makes me feel happy because it makes me feel good. Absolutely. We're at your favorite park. The other children are playing together, but you're alone. The kids move and talk so fast. I won't play with them, but I don't know how to join in. Okay, so I've heard this from a lot of parents. My child seems so interested in other kids. And they're just sort of looking and, and they want to join, but they're not joining. Or, you know, it. <clears throat> I think this is um, indicative of that sensory processing. When our children are having maybe auditory processing issues and they're, they're not able to process language as fast as the other kids are talking, or their visual system can't follow how fast everything goes. I remember Dr. Tippy coaching my husband and with my son where he was moving and rolling and throwing the ball and moving so fast and dr tippy so politely said dad you're so athletic but let's slow it down because your child sees the ball here and then all of a sudden it's way over there because he couldn't follow the movement of it in the speed that you were moving with him um what do you guys want to say about either what, what the moms pointed out, like, oh, you're all alone, but all the other kids are playing, or what the child responds? Colette mentioned it about, about movement and, and moving and core strength and all that. It kind of all goes back to that place because I can't organize my body as well, so I don't know how to jump into this. Mm -hmm. And that, that's another thing, that, you know, as, as floor timers, when we, we really give ourselves the space to work on that movement and to experience the movement in a positive way, in a related and connected way. And I'm thinking about the mom and her, again, as Jackie said, her wish, her dream. She wants her children, her child to be able to play with other children. And so we naturally think, oh, a playground filled with so many wonderful children, let's just plop our child right down and, and let them play. But if that's more difficult for you, the process of processing is going to make it difficult for you to be able to be comfortable and play in that, in that space. But that doesn't mean it never gets to happen. It means that we start with one child. And once your child is ready and, and able and having a great time with that one child, now we add another child and let them get used to that second child too. And as, as we slowly introduce more and more stimuli, our body says, oh, I can handle that. That's good. And then we give them a little bit more. Okay, I'm used to that. I can take that one too. And we just keep building and building our ability to process information and feel comfortable and safe with it. And it's such a good point because my son is going through that right now at age 13. He's at his summer camp <clears throat> and they're always working on regulation and he has a one-on-one -on -one helper, <clears throat> been slowly integrating him into a classroom setting, a small classroom setting with about five students. But at summer camp, there's larger groups now and they're finding he's much more dysregulated in the larger groups. 
And so it's a lot to process when there's a lot more kids and a lot more going on. And this is at age 13. So I think, um, yeah, your points are well taken. I have so many dreams for you, but now I'm afraid I'm confused. You're my everything, but, but I don't understand you. I need you to understand me. I have dreams too. I'm a unique child. There are reasons for what I do. You are my parents. Please learn about me. I think this this really ties it up the ending to this first part of the video where the parent is basically saying I don't understand <laughs> I really don't understand you and now I'm worried about your future and the child is saying I need you to understand me I need you to learn about me I really need your support and I need your love and your help and then we see for those of you on audio I didn't mention this the first time we watched it, but it now goes into this place where like when you do a Google search of all the words, like all these words start popping on the screen, like experts, you know, therapists, whatever, all these things like that you're thrown in your face when your child gets diagnosed and it weeds out all the words except for developmental individual differences, relationship based. So once this parent, you know, here's all this information for everybody, everybody always knows somebody who is autistic and will say, oh, well, I heard this helps. Well, I heard, and you're hearing stories on the news and you're getting all this information overload. And the point uh, in this video is the parent finally settles on developmental individual differences relationship-based model. And we're gonna see what happens with that. Um, did you guys wanna mention anything about that last piece where the parent is like, I had these dreams, but now I'm afraid and I don't know the future. And the child's saying, but I need you to understand me. <laughs> I don't want parents to ever give up on their dreams, ever. And and if we're um, we're able to support them as floor time coaches, we may be able to help them figure out how we can maybe modify those dreams a little bit so that they're easier for our child. And now our child is going to be able to say, oh, "Now you get me." That's the greatest gift we can give them is when we get them. Yeah. Coming to connection, finding connection. That, that is, for me, that's what that, that, that last bit said. I want to connect with you as, as your parent and the child says, I want to connect with you as your child. We need a different roadmap. You're listening to affectautism.com where I'm reviewing a video called The Conversation between a mother and a child about what the mother's perceptions are when she doesn't understand the challenges her child is experiencing and how finding developmental individual differences relationship-based floor time, D-I-R floor time, helped. And we are at the middle of the video. I'm speaking with Jackie Bartell, retired special educator, and Colette Ryan, infant mental health specialist, both D-I-R expert training leaders, reviewing and analyzing this video bit by bit. We're gonna get into the second half now when the mother has been enlightened by DIR floor time and how that impacts her relationship and connection with her child. So now let's get into the second part. The parent has found DIR. 
And <clears throat> this is what affect autism is all about. Helping parents understand how DIR can be implemented in your life and your floor time journey and all of that. That's what the DIR home program is here for as well to help you if you want that extra coaching. And so let's see the change from the first time. Hi baby, it's mommy. I have so many dreams for you. Being here feels funny, I need you. I will watch you and learn with others about what helps you feel calm. Calling me hurts sometimes, put me down. So right off the bat, what jumps out at you, Colette? Totally attunement. Someone supported this family to realize that they needed to do a little Weight Watch of Wonder. Uh, See what this individual, this new little babe, uh, likes. How do they, how do they feel the world best? Is it with lights, sounds, no lights, no sounds, gentle touch, rough touch? Do they need cotton nightgowns, or do they like to have nothing on at all? That's the attunement piece that we get to do with families. That so wonderful waiting watching and then wondering and then implementing trying something different and seeing what happens and being able to give yourself the space to do that and not have to know all the answers and what what, what really struck me also is i will watch you and I will learn from you about what you, what makes you feel comfortable and what makes you feel safe. And that's that piece that allows us to then attune. And I want to point out that, you know, as parents, we're always trying to do that. And a lot of times we're successful. So, oh, my baby doesn't like when this happens or you notice like, oh, my baby doesn't like when the vacuum's on or, you know, whatever. I discovered from an early, right on, right off the bat that as I was laying to sleep with my son and he was breastfeeding, I would squeeze his little chubby thighs because they were so cute. But he seemed to like that deep sensory input, that deep touch and the squeezes. And to this day, I'll still do that sometimes when I go to bed with him, I'll like grab his leg and I'll say, oh, you're strong little legs, even though they're not that little anymore. Um, and he doesn't ever tell me to stop. I think it's like that <clears throat> sensory input that feels good. If you're it, light touch, not so much, but that deep pressure touch that he likes. And some of that comes intuitively to parents and you just intuitively do that. But it's when we don't understand and we don't think of other things because it didn't even occur to us that that could be something, a lot of which we talked about in the first half of this podcast. Can we? Hugs work best for you when you need them, not when I need them. Hugs work best when you need them, not when I need them. So again, the mom's attuning. And I'm hoping that she's also going to say that you don't have to hug grandma, grandpa, aunts, and uncles if it's not working for you. And aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas are going to understand that. I, um, I've said this before on the podcast, I, I talked about in the polyvagal theory podcast with um, Dr. Stephen Porges. Porges, thank you. <laughs> um, how, you know, every time nanny and grandpa go to hug or anybody goes to hug my son, he goes like this and Ooh. turns his back to them and then they hug him from behind 
and it always makes everybody giggle. And he's done that, you know, his whole uh, life since he's been walking. And Dr. Poor just said, well, that's a smart kid because it's almost like his turtle shell. He knows that it feels safe to go that way, but this feels a little bit too vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and that's the thing is the relatives always do want to do those kinds of things. And, mm-hmm. and I liked a suggestion that um, Dr. Gordon Neufeld, a developmental psychologist in Canada, gave to parents um, in general when relatives want to do things like, you know, oh, say bye, say this, hug them, whatever, he suggested saying, oh, how would you like to say bye-bye to grandma and grandpa? And sort of give a child an option, like maybe they want to go high five, maybe they want to hug, maybe they want to kiss or whatever. Um, So letting our children have the freedom to do what feels safe for them as opposed to saying you have to Mm -hmm. go give Aunt Gertrude a hug and kiss. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's too loud in here. You're too close to me. Get away. My voice and smiles can overwhelm you. I will follow your lead. I love that. We talk about follow your lead all the time in floor time, and it's often misunderstood. I put, I have a blog post, what does follow your lead mean? I'll put a link to it. Um, and then two other podcasts, floor time is child-led. Floor time is also adolescent and adult-led. And what that means to follow the lead. Um, This mother is saying, I'm going to take your cues, exactly what you're saying, Colette, attunement. I'm going to look to you and attune to what what Mm -hmm. overwhelms you. And and earlier in the podcast, though, Jackie had a great point about the cue reading and cue sending. And we find out when we follow a child's lead, we find out what those cues are that tell us, oh, I like this, or the cue that says, nah, I don't want this to happen again. And when we see those cues, we read them and then we follow those cues. Now we have an interaction that feels good for both people and not just one person. And following those cues is following the child's lead. Because the child is telling us where we can go and how we can explore whatever experience it is that we're having together collaboratively in a a reciprocal way, rather than I'm directing and you're you're playing or the other way around. Because it's not, it's being together in in a shared experience. I don't know why you, it just doesn't listen to me. Roll, push, pull, climb. Together we'll help you get stronger and gain awareness of your body. I love this. I do too. I, those first four words. Let's let's explore your body. Let's figure out what it likes, what it doesn't, what it needs help with, and and I'll be there to support you to become more aware of it. And, and what really jumps out for me here is together mm. that we're both going to roll. We're going to push and we're going to pull and climb together. I'm not going to ask you to do it and watch. We're going to experience this together. And it's such a there's such a lovely visual visual for me that goes through my head about collectively rolling, pushing all of those pieces. And 
having that body awareness that Colette mentioned in the first half as well, <clears throat> where, you know, a lot of times our kids don't understand um, their body and all of this movement is how you do that. It's how it's not only um, sensory integration happening, but it's um, what are they called? The neurodevelopmental reflexes or whatever. Is that what they're called? Um, like tonic, clonic and all these, whatever they are, the <clears throat> these reflexes that kids slowly get as they move and explore and and it's such an important part of development it's the integrating into the rest of your body those reflexes you know you come with those it's another one of those gifts we get when we're born um, and we have to integrate them into our body and make use of them appropriately and when you don't have an awareness of your body very often those those reflexes aren't integrated correctly and then so again as jackie said together we can climb roll push pull crawl all of those things together to help your body become more aware of itself aware of itself about where it is aware of itself about how it moves aware of itself about what it can accomplish mm. all of those pieces fall into that understanding our body and as Maud pointed out <clears throat> um, it happens faster when you use floor time as well as opposed to just working on integration of different movements doing floor time and, and having this emotional connection and experience through all of these things just really like gives it that kickstart I do hear you there's too much going on around me and inside of me I will help you tell the difference between the important sounds and the background noise. Well, Colette, she still said the shh, which there may or may not be meaning around. There may or may not. Um, there was actually um, a study I read a, a few weeks ago that the shh sound is actually trying to replicate the sound of the water in the room. Uh -huh. So maybe an individual will like that shh sound um, and maybe that individual will realize that sound came from my mom and it's not the sound that mattered it's the fact that my mom or my dad or my caregiver said it to me and that's the part that I'm going to really like or mom is saying shh to herself mm -hmm. so that she's not so loud and mm -hmm. so that they can experience the sound together what's important and what's not important. And you can't do that when everybody's talking. Fascinating. And that's another really cool thing about floor time is it's not about this way. It's not about right or wrong. It's about, and as Colette said, that weight watch and wonder. Trying something, watching what happens and wondering about how it's experienced. Mm -hmm and making these discoveries together. And <clears throat> if I'm a parent watching this, I'm thinking, well, how would I do that? How will I help my child tell the difference between important sounds and the background noise? And, and I guess the way I would do that is just watch my child's reaction and say, oh, ooh, that was loud. <gasps> or, oh, you did not like that sound. Oh, oh, too loud, oh, too loud. Or giggles like oh, that was a funny sound you like that sound and just sort of using that affect to point out and comment 
on what you're you're seeing and your child may let you know through behavior verbally or gestures or by sounds or by eye contact or by the movement of their foot or anything they may let you know if you're right or wrong because maybe you got it wrong and you're you're constantly guessing and doing this trial and error mm -hmm. until it feels right for both of you and, and i'm also thinking about supporting the child in tuning into the sounds that maybe socially may be the important ones. So in your scenarios, Daria, maybe, oh, I just heard daddy's voice. Or did you hear that? The horn went eh, so that we support the child in understanding those important sounds that we're hearing and then helping them to make meaning of them. I like that. I feel calmer when I know what's coming next. I like routine. Let's pick a schedule for a day. If I know that things will be different, I'll let you know. So we talked about routine the first time around and how important it is to feel <clears throat> I know what's coming up and the mom's taking it uh, a step further. Oh, let's make a schedule then. And I'll put a link to the pot. I can't remember if it was a podcast or just a blog post that Jackie did with me about visual schedules and are they helpful? I think it was called visual prompts, but we talked about how using visuals and schedules while it's not floor time in itself is a tool that can help uh, structure the day so that the child feels safer, which allows for those interactions in a floor time way. And reassuring the child that if it's different, I'll let you know. That's the part that, that I love is, is the, the parent or the caregiver realizing that if something is different. I need to set the stage for that. I need to be prepared and I need to prepare my child. And I don't have to be specific every time, but understanding that word, oh, there's a difference or, oh, we have a change and, and not becoming overwhelmed by that information supporting that regulation through the change in the schedule is important also. And I'll give an example of that. Um, we think we're going to go swimming after school or summer camp and then all of a sudden a thunderstorm floats through and then I'll pick up my son and he'll say we're going swimming and I'll be like oh, not today because it's raining and just having to have that conversation like it's different it's going to be different or even in the morning saying Remember, we were gonna go swimming after school. There's gonna be a thunderstorm. So we're gonna go swimming tomorrow instead and just letting them know that it's gonna be different. Yeah, that's, I, I as, as Colette chewed into that, the difference, and I was talking about it as we have an oops. There's gonna be an oops today. And oops, I get an oops card, I have an oops stamp. Yeah, sometimes, it's more fun to say, oops, and then the kids remember that as opposed to being all serious adult-like. Uh, we always talk about make it fun, be silly. Jackie stresses that nonsense in our Affect pod podcast. Nonsense and silliness is fun. Uh, oops. <laughs> it's hard for me to find my own words. I need help to show you my feelings and my ideas. When you repeat what I say, you are communicating. I will gently join your scripts and you can be the director as we discover your ideas. Isn't that great? Uh, acknowledging to the child 
you are communicating. I hear you. I understand you. I understand that your scripts are communication with me. And um, you let me know. I'll follow your lead. Again, you're the director. I'm following your lead. And we'll discover what your ideas are. I think one of the things that, that is so important for us to be able to do is to support parents and understanding there's a difference between communication and language. Yes. And our, uh, our children are communicating all the time. Again, going back to Jackie's idea of the cue reading and cue sending, we just have to be able to pick up on those cues, that, that communication that's going on. And if we're only looking for the language piece, we're missing out on a lot. Probably, I can't remember the statistic, but over 70% we're missing out on. Maybe it's 90, I forget. Uh, I'm going to put a link also in the blog post to the podcast Colette and I did on cue reading and cue sending. I think it was called um, "Learn Recognizing Your Child's Cues or something like that. But I'll put a link to that. And I think what's really important in that, that just is be the director, allowing the child to be the director. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big part of this, the director of their own drama. And I remember hearing Dr. Greenspan say that all the time, like always let the child have control. I think he said 80% of the time. So if you're <clears throat> playing catch or if you're talking about an idea or whatever it is, always let the child win, always let the child be in control 80% of the time. And then you can have a little bit of challenging in there 20% of the time. But um, yeah, that them being in control again is about them feeling, ah, okay, I know what's happening. I feel safe. safe. And now I have the freedom to explore a little bit because I, I feel safe enough that I can now jump to the next step. If you're, you know, if you're, um, I'm thinking of that show Wipeout where people like jumped from one thing to the other and if they fell, ah, silly show they had on TV some years ago. If you're like on a stable surface, you feel more confident to jump to the next surface as if you're on this moving surface. So it's like giving that child that control of being the director, they feel more grounded with, and then they can take that risk. But that can be very hard for many parents. And, and when we talk about in floor time, the child leading and they're the director and we're the best supporting actor or actress, that can be hard for parents to understand and, and acknowledge that loss of control over what's happening. And so if you're thinking about trying floor time, know that we're gonna support you in understanding what that actually means. It's not that you're giving over control and the child has a free-for-all. It's you're supporting the child and in, in initiating their own ideas, coming up with their own thoughts and wonderings and letting us know about their ideas instead of our us always telling them what to do, what to think, where to go. I'm glad you brought that up, Colette, because, yeah, a lot of parents sometimes will think, I, my child's not running the show. I'm the parent. I, I'm telling them when to eat. I'm telling them when to sleep. It, no, 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 we're talking about in a play context with, you know, the, that, those structured boundaries around you're letting them take the lead and understanding that they have the freedom to do that. I am smart. I love letters and numbers. They're always the same, and that makes me feel safe. 
Helping you feel safe while you learn is important. We will work together to expand your interests. Moving makes my body feel good and happy. You light up when you're moving. I'll move with you as we communicate and explore. I love that. You light up when you're moving. What does that mean to you, Jackie? That, that's the magic. That's where the magic happens. When we give space for movement, magic starts to happen because the child is starting to figure out their body. All of those sensory systems become more organized. Those primitive reflexes that, that Colette talked about, they're all being worked on. And all of the systems that need to come together, they're all given the opportunity to move. But what's really really critical here, I will move with you, because we have to do it with another person, because that's where the reciprocity comes in, that's where the connection comes in, and that's where the support comes in around the challenges of where is my body in space, integrating those primitive reflexes, and all of those pieces that we mentioned. The kids move and talk so fast, I'm all proud of them, but I don't know how to join in. Let's watch them listen. Together, we'll bridge the world is a place where you feel you belong. Call it. That's that wait, watch, and wonder again. We're going to wait and watch and see what's happening around you. And then we'll figure out the best way that you can join. And it might be by yourself. It might be you know, with a peer. It might be with mom or dad or caregiver's help facilitating the interaction. But... We're going to do this together. You're not in this alone. I need to understand you. I do. I learned all about you and myself. Okay. I know you like this one, Jackie. Well, I, I just think it's just so beautiful where, where, the, where the mom or the parent is, is acknowledging, I do. I'm on this journey with you. And the frustration floor time has provided a, 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 a place where the frustration can is not at the forefront and it can really go away. And for me, I'm learning all about you and myself. And that's, that's one of the most wonderful things about floor time is that it's a collective process where everybody grows and moves into a shared world. It is we do so much reflecting as floor timers. We reflect in the moment while things are happening so that we know what we might do as our next step. We reflect on the moment after interactions have happened. And then we reflect for the moment before we go in into an interaction. We think about what might happen, where this play is going, where is this idea going? And supporting parents and understanding that reflective piece is very powerful. Very, very powerful. Colette, I love, I love that. In, on, and for the moment. Mm. And it allows us then to also really reflect on how do we impact as parents mm -hmm. the flow of the interaction. Mm -hmm. How, 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 how does what I, what I bring to it impact what's going forward? You know, and I think we alluded to that a, a bit ago about our own regulation as parents mm -hmm. and how that impacts and that reflective process 
really supports us in being in touch with our own feelings about you know what, what whatever it is that 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 that's unfolding before us. And for parents to have an understanding of what does that look like, <clears throat> I will watch a video of of me playing with my son, and I'll just say, oh. I notice in this video that when I did this, he quickly looked at me and then I ignored that. And that was a cue that that was too fast to this or something. And I went ahead and jumped ahead and did this. And in the moment, I didn't notice that. But when I look back at videos, you can start to see different things. And then I like the way Dr. Andrea Davis worded it in one of our early floor time uh, self-reflection podcasts and videos where we're reviewing a video of me playing with my son. And she said, you, you want to think of it as having like this video camera on your head. I think maybe that was, we filmed this before GoPros were invented or, <laughs> but imagine that, you know, GoPro on your head where you're sort of in the moment, but you're also sort of seeing yourself at the same time and reflecting in the moment. And it, it's a lot to juggle, but just in a natural sense, like just sort of, it's what attunement is, right? You're just seeing in the moment, did my did my child react to that the way I expected? If not, did I have an impact on that? Is there something I can alter? If I'm screaming, because I tend to be loud and my son tends to be loud and I notice we're getting loud and I'll be like, oh, okay, maybe I'll quiet myself down and slow down. Because slowing down has the effect of quieting your voice without meaning to, just slowing down will sometimes quiet you down. Mm -hmm. And I have a tendency to get hyper and going, and my son certainly does too. So that's something that is an example, I hope for parents of sort of that self-reflection and how you can you know, start to notice these things. I am your unique child. I'm your special parent. I love it, yep. All of our kids are unique and I'm going to be that parent. I'm going to step up and I'm going to try and figure this out with you. And again, as Jackie pointed out in the beginning, it's helping me learn about myself too. Absolutely. Yeah. And so these, <clears throat> these are credits from the original source of this video um, that is acknowledged here that you will be able to see on the blog post if you're listening on audio at affectautism.com. Um, any last concluding thoughts that either of you have about this interesting conversation between parent and child? Um, parenting is hard. Parenting is really hard and it's made a little bit more difficult, I guess, <laughs> uh, with a child that might be neurodivergent or a parent that might be neurodivergent, or if there's you know anything that's might be a little bit off the beaten path, so to speak. And it's okay to say this is hard and know that as floor timers, we're gonna be there to go on the journey with you together. Inside the hard, there is so much joy. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you both so much for reviewing this video with me and listeners, uh, you can get some individualized coaching from either one of these lovely 
trainers, Colette and Jackie at ICDL's DIR home program. I'll put links to that in the blog post at affectautism.com and uh, enjoy the thunderstorm guys. Cause all three of us, uh, you guys in New York state, up, upstate New York and me just outside of Toronto, we're all getting thunderstorms. So <laughs> stay safe. <laughs> Bye. Thanks Bye, for everybody. Thank you. Until next time, here's to choosing play and experiencing joy every day. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please see the parents menu at ICDL.com, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for the virtual floor time consultations for parents. There you can schedule an appointment, look at the virtual DIR home program services, and see the weekly parent support meetings registration. We aim to help you implement the developmental individual differences relationship-based model at home, taking into account where your child is developmentally and their individual sensory processing differences within your safe and nurturing relationship to promote and support their developmental potential.